Hello everyone, welcome to the Arseholics podcast on Sunday the 18th of February 2024. And no, I've never done the date before on a podcast, yeah. but it's just it's staring at me. The date's just staring at me, so I thought, why not? Um, we it's, it's like deja vu. Not because I mean, obviously there's been a long time since we recorded and then we recorded last week, you know, to break the break the duck. But, you know, we uh, we went away from home, played in the same kit that we wore the week before, played against the team who were playing in Claret and Blue, exactly the same. Um, and uh, we start we had the same lineup and uh, basically a very similar scoreline. And I've got Myers and Aaron in here to talk about it with me. Hello, boys. You guys, you guys good? Very good, mate. Very good. How are you? Good. Good. It's pretty good to be an Arsenal fan these days, isn't it? Like plus 19 goal difference over the last, you know, five games or whatever. It's ridiculous. Yeah. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> We've got nothing to moan about. Well, we, we should, we should go into details. I suppose, you know, what, what went wrong that we couldn't win six nil again? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that when we were five nil up and there, are, I think there was about 10 minutes left. I was like, has there ever been a team that's won six nil twice in a row? Um, that would have been quite nice. But no, yeah, probably we're not. Have to settle with a 6 0 and a 5 0. Definitely. Poor us. Is there, is this an, is there something about, because someone was mentioning this the other day in a tweet, but I think the context of that tweet was probably a bit extreme. But I, it, it does beg the question is there a bit of an issue now with the gap that's developing between the top teams? And the teams right at the bottom, like the teams that tend to come up and, you know, kind of around that kind of bottom five area. Is that, is that gap getting bigger, do you guys feel? Mm, I, I think... I, go on. Go on, go on There you go. go. All right. Well, I was going to... Sorry. I was going to say, yeah, I, I, I feel like this season it's particularly bad when you look at Burnley and Sheffield United. I don't think it's necessarily been the case the last few seasons. Um, yeah. I think there's been some decent examples of teams coming up um, and sticking around. Uh, well, I'm thinking of teams like Forest and Brentford. So, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say so. I think maybe just this season, just got a couple of pretty low quality teams um, that have come up and, yeah, I mean, they're terrible, aren't they? Well, specifically those two, Brentford, um, sorry, Burnley and Sheffield United, they're, shockingly bad we were we were saying this in the chat you guys were saying this in the chat earlier right we've got we've got Sheffield United soon yeah I think in a couple of weeks on a Monday night that needs to be another absolute drubbing doesn't it no and Aaron is saying Ted nil Ted Ted nil or Arteta gets sacked that's what that's what he was saying (laughs) yeah I mean mate I was watching them today they were I know they were down to 10 men I saw as well they they were just bad um and there were periods where like look, we were great yesterday, but there were periods where um, I think it was around the 60th minute where I apparently were just awful. Like um, the, I think it was a Trossard goal. I was um, I was messaging you guys on WhatsApp because I think there was a period of about five minutes where Trossard could have easily scored about three goals, and um, <laughs> he just kept giving the ball to us. And it was just I was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> are you even trying to like play football? Or are you just trying to concede as many goals as possible? Um, but yeah, those two are, are bad. I do think, I don't know if the gap is getting bigger because you, there are probably more top teams now. Like, you know, I think you've got, you know, like let's, let's be real, like two or three seasons ago, we were, we were eighth, right? 
Um, so we've managed to break into that top two, that Man City, Liverpool, Duopoly. And then you've got kind of between fourth and sixth, seventh. I know Chelsea aren't what they were, but Man United are still in and around the top four. Villa are in and around the top four. Spurs, um, you know, on their day, teams like teams like Brighton um, are doing, doing pretty well. Um, and, you know, like Luton and Forest have done all right. I know. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I do think you don't want an uncompetitive Premier League, right? You want every team to offer something. And I, there is something I really like about just this really, like, crappy team that comes and just uh, plays 4-4-2, like a very old-school English club that is just, you know, we are unashamedly just going to lump it up front every time and just hope for the best and play long ball. Um then as much as I'd never want to see Arsenal play that kind of football, I like the fact that those teams exist and can win games. Um, because not every you don't want to see 20 teams do uh, inverted fullback, you know, possession-based football um, and, you know, do like Pep Guardiola things. You want, you want a bit of Jose Mourinho in there as well, right? Yeah, but it is interesting because I was listening. You guys, I think, listen to the Stick to Football podcast as well. And... It was interesting hearing them talk about how now there is this new focus from the top elite teams on set pieces. And back in their day, it was never the case, right? That the technically proficient teams never spent any time on set pieces. They didn't really care to to train them in any level of detail. And it was the bottom teams that used to put a huge amount of weight on. And and now it's a completely different thing. You know, you the top teams have got set piece specialists at Arsenal, if you take are are just an absolutely elite side at, at set pieces. You you know, you, you oppositions the, the confidence that Arsenal must have going into a set piece situation and the and the feeling that an opponent must have um is is terrible, but it would have been the other, other way around before, you know. I, I guess if you went back in the day when Arsenal would play a Stoke or play a Burnley you really didn't want to give them the free kicks and give them the corners because that was probably the only way they were going to score. It is interesting. Do you think that's more of a, a thing where we see kind of science coming into the to the game more mice, like kind of, um, you know, a lot more of the the stats kind of saying, look, a lot of the game is played in set pieces. Work on them. Yeah, it's margins, isn't it? I think it's like, I always think back to, I'm assuming you guys have seen any given Sunday, Al Pacino, mm. um, and that speech is it. Al, is Al Pacino he does that speech it in is, the yeah. locker room, and he talks about. Um, I'm not going to quote it because I can't remember the exact quote, but he talks about you know it's the inches that matter on the on the football field in American football, uh, and I think that's what it is. I think it's those tiny margins or differences that you can you can maybe make up because it is so competitive now. When you think about the last six or seven years of the Premier League, and yeah, City have run away with it a couple of times, but where Liverpool have been competitive and really pushed City, it's been goal difference it's been a point or two so it's literally the difference in, in a game in a single match could make the difference to you winning the league or not um and i think that i think that's probably what what maybe well definitely Arsenal have identified as an area to improve on in the last few years um and yeah hopefully that you know yeah like you say we are very strong in that area and obviously i think we've got if you look at our team now as well we are generally uh or not so generally but across across the pitch i feel like we're a much more physical team not not necessarily this season but just again what arteta's built the kind of profile of play that we've now got you know you look at the center backs you look at declan rice you look at kai havertz for example you know big physical guys 
um, aerial threats. And so I think it makes sense as well to to kind of push push that um, put yeah just basically take advantage of 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 what we have in in the squad. So. So yeah, so I'm just reading one of these comments that's come through, but I think we could ignore that one. <laughs> there's <laughs> some like, random there's like some bot Sorry. has come in. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, but uh, on that note, hello everyone in the comments. Um, a few familiar faces. Some of them. Uh, your wife's in the comments. That's that's pretty awesome. You're right, Ash. <laughs> quite, you know, you know what's quite funny <laughs> earlier. So yeah. we were sitting down um, a couple of hours ago, and um, I said to her, "I've got the podcast tonight," and she, she said, "Okay, cool." And then um, I said, "Oh, you, I said to her for a joke, you should tune in." And she's like, <laughs> "How do I, how do I do that?" And I was like, "Oh, we're we're live." And she goes, "Oh, you're going live tonight." Why are you doing it live tonight? I was like, no, every time we do the podcast, we're live. And then she's like, oh, right, okay. No, she, so she had no idea. So it's been two years. <laughs> and then and then she said, oh, do many people tune in? And I said, well, no, not really. It's just a few. And then she goes, like, why do you do it then? <laughs> and she's like laughing. So I was like, okay. So I sent her the link today. So that's why she's that hurts, yeah, man. That's a real, that's a real body blow. Yeah, numbers. geez. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but what is this emoji that she's put on? I, 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 I can't no tell. It's like some kind of like, it looks to me like some kind of pink alligator. But not, not sure. I don't know. Anyway, oh, I think I know. Is it because, well, because Chan's saying Thundercats because of my hoodie. Is uh, it linked to Thundercats? Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is. But hello, Chan, as well. And hello, Russ, in the comments. Um, sorry, I guess back to football. Look, it, <laughs> during this period of time of just gluttony with regards to goals, I mean, God, was 20, 21 goals over the last five games, conceded two, whatever. Like, you, you know, it's fine. Some of the teams that we played haven't been great teams but we have played Liverpool and we're away to Forest as well during that period um in terms of system the last two games anyway we played exactly the same team and that has involved partly mainly because of injuries we've sort of been forced in this in this team where we're playing Havertz and Trossard both um in a lineup with all the kind of other regular names um and 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 it's, it's sometimes difficult to see who's actually playing centre forward, whether it is Havertz playing centre forward, whether actually Havertz does play deep and it's Trossard playing and and sort of kind of rotating with the other wide men. It, whatever it is, whatever it is, have we, in your guys' opinion, I'll go to Aaron and first on the question, have we stumbled on what might actually be our best team? So just before I answer, you know, what what I, what I mean by that is Jesus is injured and that's why he's not been kind of playing but we've played we've we've had to play a system in his absence Zinchenko has been out and Kivior's come in and a system has established itself as a result of that with Ben White kind of tucking in more as an inverted fullback and Kivior not doing as much as the inverted bit all of these things together have we stumbled across what might be our best team possibly I mean it's hard to argue that it's not when you you know score 11 goals in in two games, right? Um, you know, and there was a bit of discussion I posted on Twitter that I'm not sure Zinchenko gets back. If Zinchenko is fit on Tuesday, I'm not sure he gets back into the team. Um, and even and then even Jesus, which is pretty crazy to say, because I think Trossard has been brilliant. Um, and the team just looks so balanced. Um, and yes, it was the same personnel, but I think we've learned and you can kind of see with Arteta, even though it's the same personnel, the system is very rarely the same, right? We, you know, it looked yesterday like 
there was some interesting stuff going on with Saliba, the way he was playing, what Ben White was doing on that right-hand side. Um, but generally, that front four, front five, with Trossard, you know, Trossard, Odegaard and Havertz, you know, if you'd asked me like three months ago, would that work? I'd be like, no, that's, you know, that's a lot of similar-ish kind of players potentially going to get in you know, similar kind of spaces. And are they really going to like that? But yeah, it, they just look perfectly in sync with each other. And, you know, Havertz, Havertz's movement has always been really good. And it just seems like, you know, Trossard, you know, really just complements what Havertz does. And then, you know, when, when they're opening up spaces because they're off the ball movement, is so good. Players like Saka and Martinelli can just, you know, they just love that. And then, and then Odegaard, I mean, he's been brilliant since since the winter break i think he's now then he's then got a little bit more space because i think if you're a defender defending against those five players you're going to have no idea where to go and what to do and it's so complicated i think i think the issue with the old system was you know it was it was new it worked but then i felt like teams kind of figured us out and you look at December, it seemed very coached, very predictable. The, the yeah, the players were were perfect, like almost a bit too perfect. And I felt like that was quite easy to defend against, right? Because everyone knows you know, what Zinchenko was doing. Everyone knows what Gabriel Jesus does. And with this new system, A, it's unpredictable, but B, you've then got players executing that plan to perfection because they're all playing brilliant brilliant football so no i don't i don't know if it's uh, i don't know if it's our best team but and i think we've discussed this before right i don't know if we want to have a best team we just kind of want to um want to just play what the opposition wants us to do and and just try and catch them off so yeah it'll be really interesting to see what happens when jesus comes back uh, when Zinchenko comes back, because I don't know, do you think they get back into this team? I'm not. I'm not sure they do. Well, that's a good question, but I think to, to your point, um, I, I think what you're basically saying is we've just found another system that works, which probably makes the system that before seemed a little bit um, redundant actually re-energized in itself because it's just it, it it's just another if the the different ways that we have of play just make us more un- unpredictable and. And give us options, and also uh, more more resilient to injuries, right? Like that's yeah, yeah. the big thing. Is that you know a few months ago, I think if we lost Sinchenko, we'd been like, well, we've got no other way to play. We lost, like we've we've, we've done this, score eleven eleven goals without our first choice striker, just <laughs> um, mental. And I don't think any other team can do that. Um, and it's be- we've now finally got a plan B for for some of our players, and that that's reassuring. Mike, do you think part of it is actually to do potentially with nothing regarding the system, but more to do with people just being clinical? I mean, you, we've seen um, the stats recently over the last five or six games. Yes, you know, we've been playing really good stuff, but we are overperforming our XG. Um, even in the Liverpool game, I don't think it was above three, was it? But maybe maybe, maybe it was. But anyway, the point is overall, you know, we, we've, we've just been more clinical. And uh, Saka, for example, is scoring goals regularly Trossard is scoring goals regularly at the moment um well who isn't scoring goals regularly do, do you think it is somewhat down to just things clicking now yeah a little bit it, it feels like the break and I think we talked about this in the last episode as well after we beat West Ham but um it feels like the break the mid-season break came at the right time we were 
in a bit of a slump really results weren't going our way and yeah clearly big problems in front of goal we weren't we weren't scoring anywhere near enough goals um and it feels like maybe it's just a, i mean for me it just looks like players are informed now and i guess the question is why are they informed now what's changed and we're never really going to know the answer to that but i think you know we've come back in the new year and obviously the results performances and like you say how clinical we've been in front of goal has just gone to another level really but it does feel like when you now watch like a Havertz when you watch I mean I dare say it's Saka but I think Saka's been good all season to be honest um like a lot of these players just it feels like they're much more confident taking on the shot in in potentially those games in December that we dropped points in that wasn't happening like we were still having touches in the box and we were still creating chances but for whatever reason the ball just wasn't going in the back of the net um I mean, Trussard's a good example because I it, 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 there's been times where he's come, when he's played this season and he's kind of come off the bench or he's come in for a game and it, I, I haven't really been that impressed with him. And I've kind of tried to work out like what's his role in the team or, you know, is he playing as a false nine? Is he supposed to be a Martinelli kind of alternative? Is he supposed to play that left eight role? But then since he's come into the team the last few games, what I really like about him is he just likes to shoot. Like he doesn't hold back with shooting. And it's such a basic thing. But when you have other players in the team, like Erdegaard, like Jesus, for example, even like Martinelli sometimes, these guys, you know, either it feels, it has felt like when we've watched us in the past, we're trying to walk the ball into the net. Maybe that's a little bit harsh. Um, but it also feels like we have a certain, we we want to score goals in a certain way and we're not going to deviate from that. Um, whereas Trossard's very much like, if I get a chance, I'm going to shoot, whether it's from 20 yards, whether it's in, in the box. And to be fair, yesterday, like I didn't watch the game yesterday, but from all the kind of highlights I've seen and the post-match stuff, it looked like, and Aaron could probably comment on this better, but it felt, looked like Trossard actually had three or four chances to, he had a few more chances than the one he actually took. Mm. And obviously won us the penalty as well. So yeah, I, I think, I think, I feel like it's easier to be clinical when players are in form. And I think maybe it just took that game um, where we came back in the new year, we started scoring goals and we kind of haven't looked back since. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was just going to say, I think the main thing, and it's very hard to do a like-for-like comparison between Trossard and Jesus, but the one thing I really noticed yesterday um, was Trossard just seemed to be in the box a bit more um, because Jesus is always doing Jesus things everywhere right left wing right wings probably like deep midfield but trossard just had this knack of just being in the box in the six yard box at the right right time or in and around the box and i think when you've got someone there it just gives like you know we've seen it so many times where sacco and martinelli were um you know breaking through coming to the touchline and then they just square it to no one and the defender would clear it but not only just you know if, but if you have a player that's in the box at the right place right time and yeah he's not the most elite finisher in the world but you know he yeah he took his goal really well and i think just by having someone there it you know it just it means you know the, the center backs have to drop deeper it opens up space for odegaard and Havertz, and when they're running around all over the place um I think it just makes us as a team just a little bit harder to defend against. Yeah. And, you know, like systems matter, right? In terms of 
you have you have a bunch of players you try and you you, you get you get a system or vice versa and what happens it, it if the system works as a result of the players that you know you have that that's brilliant right whichever way round you you sort of started but as we've seen with many teams right when you bring in a new player the system has to change even if that player is kind of you know a world class player sometimes you bring in that world class player and the system needs to change we saw it with man city when they brought in harlan they had to change in order to facilitate this world-class play, and it paid off last season. So a question I have to you guys, um, I might as well go to you first on this one, is has there anything that you've, is there anything that you've seen from the last few games, given how many goals that we've scored, that makes you think that maybe we don't need to go spend lots of money on a big striker? Because if we spend money on the big striker, that will mean a different system, have you seen anything in this system that makes you think we just need to get better at this system and don't need a big striker? Not, uh, no. I, so it kind of goes back to what Aaron was saying before. I think it, Aaron, it was Aaron that was saying it, which was, you know, we need to have multiple systems and we need to have multiple options. And there's been so many games this season, like we're in a patch now of five games. We've, we've, we've blown teams away. We've beaten, the league leaders you know we're, we're doing fantastically well but let, let's let's kind of bring ourselves back to ground a bit it's five games right this is not the full season and I think when you go back to watching us the first half of the season while it was all still very positive and you know we only had a slight dip in December there's been so many times where we've 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 gone to the games and we've watched us play and you know the stats also indicated it where it was however many shots it was that we were getting in games and chances and they just weren't being put away right and i can't look let's see what happens between now and the end of the season because if we do go and win one of the two trophies that we're in then fair play you know like you could argue i think at that point you can make the argument that we we we, we the system that we've got and the players that we've got that work in the the, the system maybe maybe we can get away without dropping 50 100 million on on a new striker but i just feel like i've seen us play so many times this season where we've just been absolutely like dying to have someone in the box like aaron was saying about trossard you know i think that's that must that uh, yeah it, it makes complete sense with how many touches we have in the box every game um and how kind of dominant we are in possession generally and we're very dominant in the final third as well and when you have these players like erdegaard and saka who they're, ab- they're able to travel with the ball and they're able to make kind of cutting edge passes and cutting edge chances. It does sometimes feel like we just need that guy on the end of them. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, I mean, it doesn't have to be an Mbappe. It doesn't have to be a Haaland. It could just be a very, very good striker that knows how to find the back of the net. And I just can't really see a world where that doesn't improve us. It doesn't, ha- and like, like, this is what I guess the point I'm trying to make is it doesn't necessarily have to be that blockbuster striker, but I still feel like we need a different profile of striker. And I think that goes a long way to us maybe earning another five points, maybe maybe more than that, maybe 10 points in a season. You know, th- again, going back to the kind of small differences that, you know, accumulate over the course of a season. And that when you get to the end of the season, that could they can really be important. So I don't think I've seen enough yet. I think maybe it's just a bit of a, it's just too small of a sample size to look at and I think let's see what happens over the next few weeks um I, mean, I, I still I, I still expect us to do well over the next few weeks leading into that city game I think we'll get the results that we need I think we'll progress in the Champions League 
but like I said, I think there's still there's still going to be games. There have been games this season. There's still going to be games where maybe the chances don't get taken. Maybe it's just a very very tight game. Maybe there's a sending off and we're down to ten men and we just need a different option. And I can't, yeah, I can't really see the downside of having that kind of profile in the squad. So for me, I still think we'd need to go and get someone in the summer. Uh, Aaron, I mean, I I know you always hate it when I press you for questions around who. Like if you want a player, if you want to fill a certain spot, you know, in our squad, I'm like, who would you go for? Right. And, and, you know, you, you rightly in many ways point out that it's not your job to find the, <laughs> the player. It's the, it's the recruitment team. Um, but like to, to, to Mises point, do you think that there's a challenge in that right now there's such a lack of strikers in the market that even like your very good bracket seem to be going for the price tags of 60, 70, 80 million plus. And, you know, these, these kind of what you know you kind of maybe historically we sort of thought those kind of good good option strikers you know you'd hope to cost a 20 30 million don't exist anymore do do you think that's okay is that an issue or do you think that it is a case where we should be or could be going into the market and picking up a 30 plus year old veteran a bit like a Jorginho but a striker for oh um I think before before I come to that I think let me say I disagree slightly with what Mai said in that I don't necessarily think we need a striker in the traditional sense. But what I do think we need is an elite finisher, which is it doesn't necessarily have to be that traditional centre forward, right? Because you look at you look at Spurs, they have Son, right? Son isn't your traditional striker. Liverpool have Salah. But Salah's not your traditional striker in that sense. But what they are is like that one chance, one goal, like create a create a goal from nowhere type of player. Um, and I think they, they just sorry, they also do have like Darwin Nunes, for example, who basically plays as their number nine, yeah, and scores a lot of goals. He scores a lot of goals, but Darwin Nunes is not your elite finisher, right? Darwin Nunes is a but he's their striker, so we're the quite striker, like yeah. when we were talking about it, you know, I guess just to kind of maybe clarify my answer that <clears throat> my answer then doesn't have to be a traditional number nine, yeah. but should we go out and buy someone who can score more goals? And yeah, that that's I guess that's the. I don't, that's my thinking i don't know if we i don't know if we will like i've always been you know i know the rumors have always been ivan tony and this traditional striker and i think i think the reason is like that if we think okay we're going to need a clinical finisher where are we going to add it to the team right we're not going to add it a right wing because we've got saka we're probably not going to add it to left wing because we've got martinelli right so really i think we all look at gabriel jesus and think actually could we add, could we improve on Gabriel Jesus, right? And I think, I think it's hard because he, if you want to take Gabriel Jesus out of the team, although, you know, we've managed to do it all right over the last two games, but we, you lose a lot, right? And you, but you've seen like just with Trossard, um, just with Trossard's positioning and, you know, maybe doing more striker-like things, he's been able to get a few goals, but even then he, he's missed a lot, right? You, you, you get instead of Trossard, you put an elite finisher on the end of some of those chances. Trossard probably gets four or five goals in two games. So, yeah, I think it probably will be a striker because if we're going to spend money, it will probably be a centre forward. But I don't think it necessarily has to be right. I think if you, let's say, you know, one of those players disappears, and you know, hopefully it never happens. But let's say one of Saka or Martinelli 
leave or to get injured or something like that for a while. If we added an elite top finishing right winger or elite top finishing left winger, I still think it would have the same impact um, because what we're missing is that can you create a goal from nothing? And Saka can do that sometimes, but I think Gabriel Jesus and Martinelli don't really do that. Or like, okay, you have that one chance and that it that you know that game away at the Etihad or away at Anfield, and you just need to guarantee that someone can finish it. That's what I think we're missing because I don't think we have that kind of player. And it's also like a it's a get out of jail card as well. I think when some of these with some of these strikers, and which I feel that we don't have, so, so you get these strikers who when they are just so clinical, they're the ones that you want when you're playing really badly and you're probably just going to get a couple of chances. You know, they're the sort of strikers that you want when we played Fulham and lost and, you know, get games like those. I think when we're playing like we are at the moment, probably doesn't really matter. You know, you, you just, you're finding all these different ways and, you know, our, our system works or whatever. But when you just don't have that, that guy who's going to consistently overperform on XG, it sort, it sort of reminds me, I mean, you, know, you mentioned Son and it reminds me of, of when there was that period of time, I think it was under Conte, that Tottenham were really crap in chance creation, but they were scoring so many goals and they were just consistently overperforming their XG because of Kane and Son. And like it, it just those types of strikers allow, allow you to do that. But I'm I'm a bit I I do think that there's perhaps something that Arteta and Edu will be thinking about, which is probably just that. If you if you buy a, a striker who's 28 years old, let's just say, and let's say it's an Ivan Tony, even to some extent an Osimhen, but let's just go with an Ivan Tony for now. You, you have to make it work. Then you, you you get them, and they have to hit the ground running. You're not going to basically say, "Oh, like let's the, the, they can get used to how we play," and like you know they might have an average first season, but you know like you know you you will want them to hit the ground running. So you will make changes to your system to make that happen. To just to, to justify it, but also maximize while that player is at their peak. And I, I wonder whether they'll look at it now and go, actually, if we really perfect some of the systems that we can already do, and maybe, you know, add some quality to, to other areas or whatever, we might not need to do that. And two, the, the downside of it not working is, is quite high. Whereas potentially I wonder whether what they've seen over the last five games will tempt them into being a bit more bolder in buying a younger striker who is a someone who they think that can maybe be a, a Hoyland type who, and I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking at Hoyland right now and thinking that that's the sort of model that maybe we need to go down next where you buy a striker, you don't need them to hit the ground running, but you have a lot of faith that they've got huge amounts of quality. And then say the second season, even if it is a case where they start really, really showing high levels of potential and are scoring kind of goals. They're so young. You, you, the, the, the upside is still very, very high and you're still doing good enough as a team to maintain your points and kind of compete for the things that you're, you, you want to compete for. So I, I wonder whether they'll see that and they'll, they'll look for that. Now, I don't know who, who those players are and, you know, to, to answer Russ's question, maybe this is a question that we should all answer just, you know, shooting off the hip. If there was a striker that we all kind of wanted to sign today, like who would it be? Um, I, I actually, although the answer to my question that I sort of posed just then was probably someone like an Evan Ferguson. I actually, I still really like Vlavic. I <laughs> still really like the idea of him. I still, his age profile is really good. 
and I still feel like if we have a chance of getting him, we should get him over Osimhen and over Tony. Personally, that's how I feel. Um, Myers, I'll go to you. Uh, yeah, I've always been, I say always, since we were linked with uh, Vlaovic and then we didn't get him, I've always kept an eye on what he's done in Syria. And I think he's been, maybe I was going to say in and out the team, but I think yeah, he's had his ups and downs, but especially recently, it feels like he's, like when I've seen some of the highlights of his goals, he just looks like exactly, yeah, he looks like a perfect match. So I would probably go with him. I think, I think there's a few names that I'd be pretty happy with. Someone like an Isaac, probably not realistic. Maybe we missed the boat with him. But quality-wise, I think he's up there. I think maybe just fitness concerns. Ollie Watkins, um, I really like him. I don't actually know how old he is, but I think he's probably 20, 28. Oh, is he? Wow. Okay, yeah. I thought he was a lot yeah. younger than that. Um, the Osimhen one's really interesting because, yeah, he's obviously scored a shitload of, goal, a shitload of goals in, in Serie A and they won the league last season, Napoli. But I think... I've seen a few people talk about him as someone who misses a lot of chances, kind yeah. of similar to Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the big concern. And then level up, you know, leveling him up to, in, to, to move to the Premier League. So I think, you know, for such a big outlay, uh, he's one that, yeah, obviously I'd be over the moon with getting a play like that and kind of, you know, managing to, managing to get, uh, you know, to, to sign a play like that. But yeah, I, I, I don't think I've seen enough of him. So I, I'd probably go Vlaovic or if I'm looking Premier League, Isaac or Watkins would be my choice. I like Tony as well. I have to say, I do like Ivan Tony. Bobby Yarinen. Um, yeah, I've never been a huge fan of Tony, to be honest. And even we've had these links, and some people say that the links have gone cold, but he never really fit. He never really looked like an Arsenal player in that sense. So, like, I think the he's a good striker, but is he going to like up our? Is he clinical in that sense? And is he going to transform us? I'm not so sure. Um, I think you mentioned it, Myers. I, I really like Ollie Watkins. I've always been a big fan of Watkins. And I think we were linked with him when he was at Brentford back in the day, right? And then he He's an Arsenal fan Miller. as well. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, was, uh, I didn't realize he was 28, to be honest. But um, I, I mean, look, he's, he's having a really good season under, under Emery. Uh, English knows the Premier League, and I think you know Arteta's really valuing that that skill, that you know Premier League experience. You look at the big signings that we've done with the Rice, Trossard, Ben White. Like a lot of these players have come in with Premier League experience, so I think that's probably why we might have been linked with Tony, and we were watching him closely. But I think I think in this era going forward, where like budgets might be a little bit more constrained. I think it will be a question of value, like who can really give us the value. And if Brentford are going to want 70, 80 million for Tony, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Villa would would want the same for what he is. Exactly. I don't think that, which is why I think we might go for a kind of a level below, but younger who can potentially get to that level, like the next Ollie Watkins, the next Dominic Solanke. Um, And, you know, Ferguson does fit that bill. Um, haven't seen him enough this season. He's been in and out of the Brighton team, but um, yeah, or, or someone like a, a Hoyland again. It's that player that I was really good before he came to came to Man United. Um, so although he, he's on form now, but <laughs> what I meant was like he he came in with a big reputation, right? And it's something that you know, like like I said, I don't. I'm not a big European league watcher in that sense, but I, I did know about Hoyland before he 
rocked up so it says something if i know who he is right before he comes so, i guess um, i guess it's like you know whoever whoever arteta and eddie went for i have a lot of faith you know it's, it's, it, whoever they end up getting I, I think yeah they i'm sure they'll make the difference but you know i, I think if you're gonna go big you have yeah. to be sure right yeah and yeah. that's what, what we were 100 percent sure declan rice was was the guy we were going to go big on right and all of us could see his quality before he came into the team and we knew we were like this guy is is easily worth 100 million i don't know if you could say that about tony i don't know if you could say that about you know not that many strikers how many strikers in this premier in the premier league would you say are worth more than 80 million quid right now Just Harland, know, probably. Harland, yeah, Harland, it, yeah, yeah. Son, salah probably all oh, yeah. right yeah, yeah. But, but but even that there's an age thing as well you know mm. with, with salah i don't see anyone paying apart from in saudi arabia paying like 100 million for salah yeah. but um, but I but I do I do think that'll come into I think I really think age is going to come come into this decision massively because with FFP and everything you know that even with Watkins right let's say twenty eight and and by the way I I've been really impressed with Watkins as well this is I think I think we all agree with that I also didn't realize it he's basically joint top of the assists numbers as well so he's got like ten assists and, no, and he's right up there yeah 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 this is, this is like you know it's an Emery special you know he does great with it with centre forwards in every team that he he manages but. Um, I agree, you know, very good player, but we there is no way I see Arsenal spending like 80 plus million, 70 plus million even on a 28-year-old. Um, and I reckon it'll be more than 70 million if it was more, because I'm just going to say, let's just say easy for argument's sake, on a 28-year-old who he's he's not going to come for, you know, cheap. Like he's going to want, this will be his last kind of big contract or whatever, like you'll you know be on at least 200 250k a week i imagine right uh, that's a lot and you know it's money that we wouldn't you wouldn't get off on a resale you know any of that back so it's all with ffp i really think that would, that that will make an impact um which is uh it's interesting because it makes uh russ's suggestion if it was <laughs> if it was possible uh you know russ is saying mbappe here and um look obviously i think we will agree if we could get someone like mbappe oh, like, Obviously, we would, but let's you know we're assuming his future is set at Real Madrid. But but it is interesting when the economics coming into it, right? Because Mbappe, given his age, like from an FFP perspective, if you can get the ca- if you can get the cash that you need for it, like in many ways, I, I imagine doing a, a mega deal for Mbappe is in some ways better from an FFP perspective than than a, a an eighty million twenty eight year old that you can't sell after. Like Mbappe, you sign we signed Mbappe on a five year deal or whatever, and even if we're paying shitloads of money, like we'll, we'll sell him at some point and like he, get a lot mm. of money back, right? You know, so it's interesting. I am gonna um, pivot our discussion to another area of the pitch, right? I'm gonna um, maybe I'll ask Aaron about this. Because um, sometimes you know, sometimes he's 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 the resident critic in a good way. I mean that, Aaron, and you know, I think we need we need a balance. Um, <laughs> so no one's talking about the Ray Ramsdale debate at the moment because results have been really good. Yeah, um, but l- let's play devil's advocate for a second because people obviously were talking about it. We had been talking about it. Lots of people saying, yeah, you know, it didn't has Ray really kind of improved us and all that kind of stuff. You know, David Raya last season, statistically, was the best shot stopper in the Premier League. He made the most amount of saves, and that's obviously not necessarily an indication of whether you are the best shot stopper, but his his shots to save percentage was the highest. So 
he is, you know, in that way, almost undisputedly, because he's got the highest end number and he and he's got the highest kind of percentage. So he's undisputedly stats with regards to statistics, undisputedly the best shot stopper in the Premier League from last season. We had people like Jurgen Klopp last season say that, you know, talk about Brentford and be like, you know, how good they are because their goalkeepers are number 10, basically. So clearly his distribution is is right right up there. Um, he He's joined Arsenal. He didn't have a preseason. He displaced a, a fan favourite, to be honest. And at the beginning, there were probably some sort of shaky moments, if you like, right? But he's now kept the most clean sheets in the Premier League, where he's joined with, with Jordan Pickford. And Arsenal have, as I said, you know, like conceded two goals since Dubai. And you could probably say that Dubai is his little bit of preseason. Um, Arteta made this comment about David Rayan saying the things that people don't realise are things that he stops. The things that the attacks that don't happen because of him, because of the, the because of how he plays. Um, we counterattack quicker because, I mean, I think his throwing has just been exceptional and just continues to get better. I mean, so just, I know there's a lot that I've said right now, but I basically, is this just not another indication of of the club just getting recruitment nailed on? I mean, it, it's kind of hard for, for me, objectively saying all the things that I've just said now, to to argue that this goalkeeper has not materially improved the team. Um, am I it, are the stats misleading? Is that going over the top? Uh, no, I think I think there's a couple of things in that, right? So I think. If you ask most sensible fans, yeah, look, he made a couple of errors in his first, you know, first big chunk of games. But I think most sensible fans would have said, okay, Raya is you know, has always been one of the Premier League's, you know, better goalkeepers. But we have Ramsdale, who is probably one of the Premier League's best goalkeepers last season. Um, did we really need to spend thirty million? on someone who probably most people would have, would have said then who's probably just as good. Um, and you'd, you'd probably say, Ray, I was like, I don't really see what, why we've played the extra 30 million to basically win some and lose some, right? So you, you take away, take away some with, with Ramsdale and you get some with Ray and all that. Um, but I think a couple of things have happened, right? Number one is he's obviously cut out his errors massively. Um, but number two, I think you realize that actually when you've got Gabriel and Saliba in front of you, you don't need, you're not going to be shot stopping that much. Right? Um, you're going to be shot stopping and, it, you know, the shots, the goals that we can see, the chances that players, that people get against us, most goalkeepers in the world are not going to stop them, right? So actually, even if you're a five, even if you're 5% worse, I know you said he was statistically a better shot stopper, but even if he wasn't, like what we need is that 11th attacker, right? Um, and that is far, far more useful for a team like Arsenal than um, having someone who never, ever makes a mistake, but actually Ramsdale did make mistakes, or someone who might save that extra one shot out of 50 because they are at 1% better as a shot stopper. And actually what you're seeing is Raya is influencing the game a lot more purely because of... Um, just the way he is on the ball, the confidence he gives, the, the directness of his goal kicking, the directness of his throws, um, how quickly he's releasing it. And you see the players are adapting to it now. Mm. Um, you're seeing basically whenever we get the ball, whenever Raya comes out and catches, which he is also very good at compared to Ramsdale. Ramsdale was always a bit iffy on crosses and corners because I feel like 
defenders would just spook him and he wouldn't always make the right decision. But Raya just consistently just comes out and gets the ball. And then Yeah, he's got one of just a, a supplement, he's got one of the lowest punch rates in the Premier League. So he, he, oh, really? he punches yeah. one of the lowest man of time. He's yeah, he, he basically always goes to catch. Yeah, exactly. And then you've seen it now. The minute he catches a ball, Sacco and Martinelli are off. They're just running. Mm. Like Martinelli especially, he's off. And then if you know as a defender that that's, you've got to deal with that, it means you know you, you might not commit that extra man forward and then it just opens up space. And I think he's quietly just gone on and just done done his bits. You know, he's set up a couple of goals, I think, or been involved in a couple of goals over the last five games. And yeah, I think um, I'm really happy that we're not, I'm just really happy as a fan base for not having this debate every week because it was getting really annoying. Um, and I think it's become quite clear and quite evident that, you know, uh, a non-goalkeeper scout like me can like actually now see, okay, this is why we paid that extra 30 million because he is actually bringing something that we didn't have. Mm. Anything to add to that? What have you been impressed about? I've not not really too much to add, to be honest. I think I'm pretty much in agreement with everything Aaron and said. I think, sorry, not to answer your question directly, I, I, I do feel like, and, and I think the stats show this as well, when you look at our, um, uh, basically the chances that we're conceding or not conceding at the moment, um, in the last couple of games, Ray has basically had nothing to do. So completely agree with everything kind of Aaron has just said and articulated about kind of his strengths and what he's brought to the team, especially compared to Ramsdale. But I think also he's not really had to face in terms of shot stopping and in terms of why he's now up there in terms of clean sheets and why, you know, we've got a very good defensive record. I think that's probably, let's be honest, that's probably more down to the likes of Saliba Gabriel and Declan Rice in front of him. And I don't think you could ask for a better trio of defensive players to have in front of you as a goalkeeper um but yeah like not to repeat everything that Aaron said or you guys have said but yeah I I I don't I think going back three or four months when when we saw Raya's name on the team sheet I I there was a question mark in my head about why are we doing this have we really improved in that area but now it's just you know it's a given we just expect as obviously we we expect to see Raya as as our starting goalkeeper and like you say there's no thoughts in my mind about oh this could be a bit of a tough one like Burnley away for example the way that they're obviously going to play the way that they're probably going to if they if they had the chances to if they had the possession to they're probably going to target us aerially more than anything else I don't really have that worry about about Raya being dominated at set pieces or you know aerially or anything like that so um no yeah like like it, it's not it's not i guess yeah for me it's not a it was a it was a concern before um but i think maybe we we're all just a bit harsh and, and like you said ramsdale being a fan favorite it's like it's almost just when he was taken out of the team we all felt it a little bit as fans mm. it wasn't so much based on merit that we felt it. it was probably just more because everyone fell in love with aaron ramsdale over the last couple of seasons um and so it was a bit of a, it was just a bit gutting when he comes out of the team. Um, and, and you know, it's like the new, the new boy, right? Joins and you kind of like, you just don't really, not, not so much you don't want to like him, but you've maybe took, just took a bit longer for us to start falling in love with David Rea. But yeah, like quality wise, I don't think you can, I don't think yeah, there's, there's no complaints from my side. I've been very, very impressed with him and it, it will be interesting to see what happens in a match where we aren't as dominant 
and we do concede chances. Um, that's what I'm going to be interested in, in seeing how he reacts and how he performs. And um, because, yeah, we've seen a couple of dodgy moments this season as well, but maybe we could just put that down to him being new in the team and not fully integrated, that kind of thing. And a fair bit of pressure on him as well, considering he's taken, like we said before, fan favorites shirt. So yeah, no, it's, it's going well. It's going well, but yeah, like I said, no, not really much pressure on him from a, in terms of him having to do much in the last couple of games from a shot saving perspective. So yeah, it will be interesting to see how that changes in certain matches. I will say, I will say one thing, right? Which is we as fans are gonna, are gonna have to get used to this now because it was very easy for us to go from uh, Leno to Ramsdale. Because <laughs> we were like, oh, it's a clear upgrade. It's very easy for us to go from Cedric to Ben White, right? But it's it's not going to be easy now when next summer or the summer afterwards, right? Because we've got no bad players anymore. All of our this players is a really are good right. point. And this this manager is ruthless, right? He does not give a crap about if you're if the fans like him or not. If he finds a better player and a better deal comes out for any any of those eleven players, even Saka, right? If like if we find a player for 30 million on the market that is better than Bukayo Saka, Arteta would get him in. But obviously that player doesn't exist right now because Saka is probably one of the best in his position, right? But that is the level that he's aspiring to in that he wants the best player in that position. And if you're like, if there's a guy out there that's better than you and we can afford him, I think we'll do it. And he fits like the qualities and the criteria and makes strategic sense. Um, you know, all of these players, Martinelli, Gabriel Jesus, two years ago, we signed him for 50 million and now we're chatting to say, oh, maybe, maybe we can replace him with Mbappe. <laughs> right? But like the better we get, the more money we get, the more some of these players are going to have to be on their A game because players we like are going to leave. <laughs> Tierney, we loved him. Can't get anywhere near the team. Um, we're having a conversation about Smith Rowe, a guy who two years ago came in and saved us from mid-table mediocrity um yeah no no one is safe basically no one is safe. You, it's, su- it's such a good point that you make I was, I was i was generally thinking about exactly the same thing before this episode not really to do with us but i, I was looking at cities transfers over the last kind of you know however many years and uh, the harland aside but that's almost like a, a gap they kind of you know were playing without a proper center forward for a while you know, City have basically been play, paying sums of anywhere between, you know, ten to a hundred million, just for, as Mize was saying, inches. So basically, if they think there's a player, and if if they can afford him, whether that even if it's a hundred million, if he adds an inch, if he just improves them a tiny bit, that's what they do now because that's the margins it's come to. If you if you think about Declan Rice, and they went for Declan Rice, they you know they. They had a cap as to you know how much they they thought they would pay for him, but they still went for him. They're still willing to pay like big money. They didn't, they didn't obviously need Declan Rice. Like they've got Rodri, who is a world class defensive midfielder. Like they've got other options in their midfield. They don't need him like we needed him, but they're willing to pay that big money for that for the for the margins. Doku Grealish they didn't need them, but they're paying massive money because they're like this might help us in that one game. Or, you know, whatever. Do you know what I mean? That might be three points different. 
Because I think you're spot on. I think we're going to have to get really used to the idea that the manager is going to bring in players who are going to be like, well, he's not better than him. Like, do, do you know what I mean? It's just not yeah. going to go on my I was going to say, on that point, when you start to, th- uh, and, and again, it is, yeah, like you said, it's a really good point. But when you look at across our team and you start to look at who are the players that might be next mm. to, to do a Ramsdale, as it were, I think you also then start factoring in their values, obviously, right? Because Ramsdale's going to go this summer. We should hopefully get half decent money for him. But I think they're, and I think you've said this before as well, Raj, there's probably a big-ish sale coming at some point. Mm. And I think you said Gabriel, which I personally don't see anymore. Maybe you've changed your view on that. But for me, I reckon it's maybe Martinelli. Ooh. I reckon Martinelli might be, maybe not not anytime soon, Not I'm not saying this summer or anything, but in the next few years if he continues to develop and it feels like he's still very much developing, like he's still very early on in his development, but he's already starting for us every single game on that left-hand side. But I feel like he just looks like a player that is like a PSG a Real Madrid. If Real Madrid ever sold Vinicius, like he feels like that's his next step. Um, and I think he'd suit those kinds of teams as well. Um, and I think if a big offer comes in for Marcelli and I'm talking Let's, say, let's just say 100 million, right? I'm not saying it would be. I can't see how we would, I can't see how we turn that down considering how much profit we'd make on him. Basically 100 million. Um, and yeah, uh, and yeah, I mean, look, I've got nothing to base that on. Just just my thoughts. I think, when I look across the squad. I think that I think only we, happens if we know that there's someone better. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that we can 100%, get. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Is that I'm like, yeah, fair enough if we go and buy like Vinicius or something. But it's not really, I mean, yeah. But then Marcelli got plucked out of the second division in Brazil. And I know it took him a few seasons, but he was completely unknown, right? So I guess, no, I completely agree. Like, we would have to have the replacement. But I feel like if there was anyone that you might consider expendable at a fairly young, one of the fairly younger players in the squad who's going to generate a shitload of money, like, I can't see it being Saka anytime soon. I think the club, I think the fans would probably like burn down the Emirates if he sold Saka. Mm. So, I, I, so. I think that, I think there's a chance it could be Jesus. I think yeah. So, yeah. I think it him will. as well. I think the, you go, you have to get quite far down the list before you get to Martinelli, to be honest. Um, but, I, but I don't think it's that bad a shout from us because purely, purely because, I mean, so I, I, I think the only reason why it might not happen, it, well, two reasons. One, I think he actually really like loves Arsenal and kind of, you know, I think he feels very, very settled and all the rest of it. Um, but I also think that they might look at him as as that Hoyland centre-forward type where he, uh, in the sense of maybe his future is centre-forward and maybe they don't want to give up on this opportunity of having this like young player who is who, who could turn into this just like ferocious like number nine. But otherwise, I, I don't. I don't know. Like I, you know, is he an elite winger? I'm not sure he's an elite winger yet. Not yet. Um, not yet. And uh, yeah. So and and, and I, I guess Saka is currently probably edging above him at the moment, right? Like in terms of just sort of output levels and you know being able to settle games and stuff. And he he probably has to get there quite soon. I think I, I'm not sure we'd have incredible amounts of patience if he's not getting to that level soon and if it, but but obviously it does depend on who else is in the market i agree but but like you say like if there is someone who we think mm, then maybe that 100 million comes in or something like that then then it is um but but i think i think jesus is is quite likely and just to answer kind of you know 
what you're, you're sort of you didn't ask the question directly but about the gabrielle point mm. yeah i think i don't know if so, so i thought it was very interesting in that interview that i think i mentioned to you guys about gabrielle that gabrielle gave recently where he he did say something which sounded like he was considering leaving in the summer but it sound but it sounded like that could have been because he wasn't starting at the beginning of the season and maybe had a doubt over whether kind of Arteta wanted him to kind of, you know, saw him as his first choice centre-back. But uh, obviously now he obviously is and he's just he's just done tremendously well. Um, but I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I, I wonder whether Arteta is still looking at Kibior as, as because, you know, he's predominantly a centre-back and thinks that he could be a successor to, to Gabriel. I, I don't know. But um, I I feel it less so than I did before though to be honest, Mice. Less so that he'll, we'll he'll be our big sale. Yeah. Um, yeah, Russ has kind of thrown out a lot of names, um, which yeah, I mean ESR, Partey, Jorginho, El Neni, Eddie. There's lots of potential people who could leave. I think obviously what we were just trying to answer there, I suppose, is the big the big sale. Who could be the big sales? And but I agree, I think a number of those players are probably looking at, at, at seeing the door in the summer. Uh, I would be on that note. I'd be very surprised if Zinchenko is here next season. Oh, really? Yeah, I think Zinchenko. I you'd, think... you'd be very surprised if he would. He no, would I think. I th- sorry, let me rephrase. I, I would be very. I think he is the most likely out of the first eleven, because they are traditional first eleven. That we is like the most in danger of being sold, or upgrade, like having a Ramsdale. Raya thing happened to them. Um, it's not a bad shout, actually, when you think about it. I can kind of see the... He's not been great this season. He's not been great. We're like, I think the reason is he's oh, like know. going forward on the ball. He adds so much. And I think we've been guilty of not really being able to find an alternative, and that's why we play him. Um, and I think our defensive standards will improve so much that we won't be able to tolerate like his deficiencies and the flaws in his game. And like we've but seen we that. Like, to... We talked about systems, didn't we? We talked about having different things. I, I don't, I mean, can, who who is a better inverted left back? In well, I, don't, I don't think, we, I, don't, I think we'll just say like, okay, if we can't find someone to do that, like we will go and either just get someone the right to do it or like, you know, we've yeah, forgotten, we bought Timber, right? Timber, yeah. we bought Timber yeah, in yeah. his position, right? Yeah. We bought, we've got Tomiyasu yeah, there. We've got, um we've got, got Kibio there right and the yeah. you look at what City do City don't don't even play fullbacks anymore right the the full, City just play centre-backs basically what we're doing now what we're doing now yeah, yeah. yeah. so um do you necessarily need a, a guy who can add something in midfield maybe maybe his future is a, a number eight or something like that but I don't I think if yeah I think if you had to get rid of someone and upgrade it he he does cost us him. defensively, like yeah. yeah. Without going hard on him because I love him and I think he's done that inverted role that he's done for us has been fantastic. But there's some crunch moments in games, and we all know which ones we're thinking about, like Anfield away last season, Anfield away this season, and a few others. Um, he get he gets beaten far too easily, and yeah, crunch moments that really have cost us. Um, and that I think that's the worry, and, and we're we're not experiencing experiencing that now because obviously he's not in the team or he's injured. But yeah, I think now I wouldn't have thought it before, but now Aaron has said it, and you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. But it's also, again, what you just said, Aaron is quite interesting because we're probably going to lose 
at least one central midfielder this summer, if not two, if you think of Elneny, Partey, maybe even Jorginho, if they don't renew his contract, because I think his contract's up. Yeah. But I think there they There is will, a one-year but... extension, I think, on Jorginho's contract. But... Yeah, okay. So, like, there's maybe a... I don't know. Maybe there's a, a, a gap there or a spot to fill there where Zinchenko might actually become a midfielder as opposed to an inverted one. So, yeah, it's quite interesting, actually. It's interesting. I... So. I, I, I... I only see it if there's some club who's desperate for Zinchenko and comes in with big money. Otherwise, I, I just I don't I don't see it. Just because I think it kind of goes against. You know, we're we're talking about assembling a squad of having lots of options, and I still and t- we haven't seen the best of Timber yet. Like so, we don't know. Maybe he was always was a succession plan for Zinchenko. Maybe maybe that that was the case. But I do think that there you'd struggle to find a better inverted fullback than Zinchenko. And and I think that the games that he's cost us this season, a lot, well, you know, the goals that he has cost us, not necessarily the games have necessarily been decided by this, but those goals, arguably in a lot of those games, he wouldn't have been starting if we had a fully fit side anyway. Like it would have been, they're the sort of games where, I don't know, if we're playing Liverpool, then it probably isn't going to be Zinchenko at left back. It's probably going to be Tommy Asu. So he's only there because the injury is there anyway. Um, but I don't know, but it, it's not, a ba- it's definitely not a bad shot. Don't get me wrong. I just can't, um, I personally would, would be surprised. Uh, listen, we, I, I didn't want to go over an hour. I wanted to try and wrap us up for about an hour, but there is one final thing I think we just obviously need to talk about. So maybe we can just do that for 10 minutes quickly. It's our long, 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 long anticipated, um, return to the champions league. Uh, it, well, knockouts. We've obviously been playing in the group stage, but it's our first Champions League knockout game in a long time. So just very, very quickly, let's just talk a little bit about Porto on Wednesday. So we're away in the first leg. It's um, Porto are third in the Portuguese league. It seems like I was kind of looking at their results over the over the season. It doesn't necessarily seem like they've had a kind of a bad period and then were really good or vice versa. It, it seems like they've been the sort of side who throughout the season have just lost the odd game um, and and have meant that like they're still, I think there's, I think there's all been a similar situation to us where they're still, they're still in the title race, but you'd probably argue they're the sort of third favorite, but looking at their kind of goal scored goals against, it does look like they've got a very, very good defense. Well, relatively speaking, but goals have been hard to come by. So it, it, it seems like you know they haven't been scoring very many goals. Uh, so I, you know, I haven't been watching Porto. I don't know that much more about them. But at the end of the day, um, it's the Champions League, and I imagine in a very similar way to us. Then, if they are in a similar situation where the league might not be winnable, um, you know, perhaps they feel like they can put a really, really good Champions League run. Um, Aaron, do you have any any thoughts about our long-awaited return to the knockouts? I was just going to ask: Does um, does Pepe still play for them? Yeah, uh, he still starts for them. I think. Are you Shut serious? Up. He must be like forty-three. Yeah. I think he's like I think he's forty. I could be wrong on how old he is, but I think he's wow. yeah. Yeah, pretty sure so, he still starts every week. Yeah, does he start? So he's like, so he'll start on Tuesday, right? I think so. Or yeah. Wednesday, sorry, Wednesday. Um, Wednesday, yeah. But that could be fun. Like I think Saka and Martinelli, they get to run against him. That could be quite fun. Um, I'm sure like when you're when you're that good, you obviously if you're still doing it at 40, you've probably found a way to mitigate your your deficiencies in speed. But um no, I don't admittedly know a lot about Porto. Um 
and haven't really seen them play much this season. But um, just going off what you said, Rog, you know, third in the league, I did have a quick look at their results just before I came on and they were, you know, they win some, they lose some. I think they lost a couple of games ago and they won the weekend. So they, look, we should, on, on the form that we're in, we should be winning, right? But this is the Champions League. They, they're not going to defend like Burnley and West Ham did, right? So there is a, a risk of complacency. But I think when we're playing the way we're playing, I'm going to assume that we play the same 11 that we played at the weekend. And um, we should go there and just try and win. And dare I say, try try and win, try and wrap the tie up in the first leg. Because... You never know. Like when we're in this form, you just got to take advantage of it because you know we might have a few injuries for the second leg. And I think it's when you're good, and you know you're good, and you know you can win the tie in 90 minutes. You absolutely have to go for it. So I hope so that's you, you, you don't you don't you don't see us taking going big name big game Jorginho in that's what in I the well. middle of the park. No, I hope we don't. I hope really? we just. I hope we go there. Maybe I'm naive, and maybe like maybe I'm kind of under underestimating Porto and maybe being a bit uh, overconfident. But I just think when we're playing the way we're playing, we have absolutely no reason to fear them. So let them set up to try and stop us. Um, Go there and just try and win two, three, get three goals and just put this tie to bed in the first round, first leg. That's the approach I would take. Obviously, if we rock up and turns out Pepe is still a defensive beast and and everything else is going well for them then maybe but i think um you know we are a big club in europe now and i think you know we haven't had the pedigree but on form and current form and current players we're we're still one of the top five six teams in europe and we should we should act like it we don't know there's no away goals right so don't you think that's even more reason why we just kind of need to just make sure that we are a bit sensible. Yeah. Well, what do you mean by sensible? What would you do? You'd play Jorginho <laughs> instead of... Yeah, big, just play the experience, Jorginho. right? Yeah, yeah, you play the experience. It's not It's not so much you, you're, 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 you're afraid of the opposition, so you change it, out, change it up. But, I mean, we've got a league game, a big league game, three days later as well, which I think has to come into the thinking when it comes to team selection. But it feels like this is a perfect game for Jorginho. Like, but go who, there, who you take, control who you the ball... Out? Well, I think if if we went to and played exactly what we played against Liverpool, and then Havertz plays up front, and then Trossard is on the or did Trossard start left? Basically, Havertz plays up no, front, Martinelli and Jorginho plays. Yeah, yeah Martinelli played. So yeah, Havertz, okay. yeah Trossard so, was on the bench and he came yeah, on yeah. against Liverpool, didn't he? So yeah. um, I wouldn't be upset with that personally. Yeah. You've got big, yeah, you've got experienced players in there. I mean, only changing one player, but I think that's a good kind of Champions League go there get a result type of team. And I think if if you're going if you go with Jorginho, you're basically saying we reckon we're going to have a lot of the ball, and we're going to try and dictate the play. So it kind of goes with what you're saying, Aaron. You're not really, I wouldn't say you're really necessarily weakening the weakening our team for that game. It's probably more you're just going with a slightly different approach. But yeah, it just feels like a perfect Jorginho game for me. And I wouldn't be surprised if is Tommy Asu fit. Don't know. He didn't. He wasn't he, on the he bench. He wasn't on the bench. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't be we surprised if Tom Yasu comes back in as well, if he is fit, but maybe he's not. Yeah, if Tom Yasu's fit, play Tom Yasu, because I think he's overall a better left-back than, than Kivior is. But 
I don't know. I think I just think you've got a good thing. I think if you then start changing it, maybe this is an old school attitude, but it it kind of just sends the wrong message out to the team. Yeah, and, I, uh, I don't think it's an old school. I think it's fair. Yeah, but yeah. no, I would I would honestly just play that. The, the only I think the thing that the Jorginho plan works, and the reason I like that actually is it does give you something off the bench, right? Mm. And um, the last two games. Yeah, I know the results have been different when the players have come on, but those subs haven't really added anything. Like Enketia, the last two games off the bench was just ran around, didn't do anything. Uh, Nelson couldn't really get into the game. Um, so having Trossard off the bench is um, a really, really powerful option. But if I was Trossard, I'd be so pissed off if, if I got dropped after probably be back in the team for Saturday though wouldn't he yeah do you think he wouldn't look at it as drop though would you, you you know I'm not sure they'd look at it that way anymore maybe maybe but no I would I, I do hear you I would, though like I would just, just some... go for it and like just smash them yeah. and then <laughs> you can play Jorginho at home in the second leg when we're 5-0 up yeah there's something to be I mean, you're right about there's something to be said right for score, you score 11 goals in two games and concede none yeah. with the same team both away from home right so you kind of go well, just you know, put it to bed type thing. You put you could kill the game in the first. I, I, I do I do get that. But I also take Moise's point, right? Is that you know we, what what however however the result goes in Porto, it's not over, right? So even if you you know, even if we don't win, even if even if we lose, it, it it's not over, it's salvageable in it, with the second leg. I guess you do somewhat need to have Newcastle in mind. I mean, I don't think we're going to be rest resting wholesale players necessarily, but freshness. Uh, you, you probably do need to think about it because you know you you lose at home at Newcastle on Saturday, then you know it's the, the league again is is very precarious. I, I don't know. I, I'm but not also, sure. Newcastle's right defense is also terrible at the moment as well, it's right? So we should then play that same eleven again on Saturday. <laughs> <and win>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And win six now again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, no, look, exciting times. Exciting. Um, well, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and are we not doing predictions then? We can do predictions. Oh, sorry, not to cut you off, but okay. No, no, I'll... would you please do you, you just... uh, I'll go, go for it. Why don't you predict <laughs> uh... both games, not just not just Wednesday? Yeah, yeah, are go we on. doing both? Yeah, both. Yeah, do both. Yeah, oh, bloody hell. Okay. I'll do Porto first and we'll go around and then do Newcastle. Uh, Porto, yeah, I'm feeling pretty confident, to be honest. I'm going to go 3-1, three, three, I think we'll concede, but 3-1 away at Porto. And Newcastle? Mm. Oh, do Newcastle now. 2-0 um, will beat Newcastle. I three one's a good a good score against Port. I think that we might do. I think we might do even well. No Porto. Okay, okay. You know what? I'm gonna go. Um, we're gonna win two one against Porto. But I think that it's gonna be a game where we we probably miss a couple of chances. Like I just I just can't. Uh, I'm not going to explain it too much. I'm going to go 2-1. Um, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to beat Porto 2-1 and we're going to beat Newcastle 3-0. Um, I think 
Should I go overconfident or just confident? No, I'll go. I'll go three nil against Porto, and three nil against Newcastle. Wow. I was going to go four. I was going to put a four in one of those games, but mate, imagine we get those two results in the next week. My God, start getting excited. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, mate. I mean, it's really, it's really fun. It's really fun watching at the moment. May, long may it continue. So, um, all right, guys, thank you very much. And everyone who has joined us for the pod, thank you very much. Russ, thank you for all your engagement. And um, yeah, everyone who's listening, thank you. Like, share, subscribe. Um, is there anything else you can do? Anything else you can do, do that as well. Tell your family. Uh, tell your family. Tell your family. All right, everyone, good night and talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers, boys. Bye.